Hey, beautiful people, and thank you for listening to the Bang 2-3 podcast. If you find this funny, entertaining, or insightful, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you want to make my day, go show us some love on our Instagram page, because I love each and every single one of you. Thank you for listening. I'm joined by my newest buddy, DJ. Um, Hello? DJ, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited for this. Uh, you, you want to tell the story about how we met? This is pretty great. Yeah, so we met through the beauty of the internet, more specifically one of the last pristine corners of the internet, Reddit. And uh, yeah, man. Uh, yes. DJ posted, he was kind of telling the story a little bit. And I was like, man, this guy sounds fantastic. I would love to have him on my podcast. And he replied. So thanks for replying and not ghosting me. Yeah. And <laughs> thank you for uh, even showing interest in the first place. This is really exciting. So uh, yeah, man. All right. Yeah. So I just, just kind of browsing over some, some of the details about you. I think you are like one of the coolest, like one most fascinating stories I've heard of in a while. So just real quick. So you've worked as a flight attendant, you've traveled the world, uh, you lived in your car multiple times. Uh, you've lived in an office space. You went to freaking Stanford. <laughs> you, <laughs> you've had your own waffle and ice cream shop. You're currently the founder of a, of a vacayhq.com. And you also do financial coaching. Holy freak. I don't even know where to start. Could you just tell me real quick, like, tell me about your upbringing. Uh, where were you born? Yeah. Was so, all right. If you want to get technical, I was born in Houston, Texas, uh, but I, I lived there till I was about nine. But I always say I grew up in San Antonio. So um, San Antonio is my hometown. And I was, you know, typical. I'm still very much a nerdy kid. Did did well in school, loved tests. Um, and I was a band geek as well. Shout out to band nerds all around the world. I played uh, saxophone, alto, tenor, barry. Like you put a saxophone in my hand, I could play it. And yeah, it was a, it was a good time. It was a, it was definitely a good time. So from about nine to seventeen, it was Texas school, you know, band, football. Uh, that was that was my life. So did you do band and football, or? Oh, right, right, right. I forget. Not everybody from Texas knows this. So uh, marching band, huge, okay. huge in Texas. So I would. Yeah, I would go to all the football games and I would actually get on the field, but not as a player. We'd get out there during halftime. We'd march our little show. And uh, yeah, we went to competitions and everything. We were pretty good, man. We were pretty good. That is awesome. Listen, being a guy from Louisiana next door to um, I, I, I was in uh, San Antonio like four months ago. Uh, the band is like the best mm -hmm. thing about going to high school football game. Highly recommend. It's yeah. It's a, it's a vibe, man. It's crazy. So, uh, so, okay. Nine to 17 band, Texas, um, having fun. Um, what would you like, I, what did you belong to like a click in high school where you like the band guy through and through, were you like a, a jock or what was that? You know, what was cool about high school, man. Um, like I could, it, it wasn't a, the, the, like, what do you call it? The, the stratus. Fear wasn't based on really money or anything like that or race. It, it was a very mixed and diverse school. And it was it was just based on like what you did, you know. So yes, I hung with the band kids a lot. 
Um, but you know, everybody was pretty cool. So like occasionally you bump into a football player and they'd be real nice. It was like, we definitely got along with each other for the most part. And so, um, yeah, that, that was a, I think kind of a unique high school experience. So I went to Theodore Roosevelt high school in San Antonio, Texas on the Northeast side off. Was that Walsham road? Is that off Walsham? Anyway? Yeah. It was, uh, so I want to give a shout out to my high school and, um, it was a, it was a good time. You know, it was, was wild though. So here's the thing. If you grow up in Texas, um, there's this, there's this thing that happens. Like if you don't leave when you're 17, 18, you kind of just like never leave. You just stay there forever. And, um, I had, I was planning on, you know, I had heard about California you know, I grew up watching Saved by the Bell and, and all that. So I knew there was like a world outside of Texas, but when I was thinking about where to go to school, I was going to go to a school you probably never heard of called Texas State University. And it's, you know, right up, it's about 40 minutes from my house in San Antonio. I had my roommate already picked out. Um, and I was going to major in audio engineering because when, uh, like maybe junior year of, of high school, I got a computer and me and my friends wrote some songs. And then I had like, I had the newest computer with, and I had a little microphone and we got in the room and recorded some songs, you know, we got, came into my bedroom, recorded some songs. And I spent like the whole weekend mixing these songs. I just like really zoned out and was like editing stuff. And I was like, oh, this is so much fun. And then somewhere along the way, I found out you could actually turn this into a job. And I was like, I want to do that. So I had it all planned out. I was going to Texas State. I was going to major in audio engineering. And just for, I don't know why. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember why. I remember why. Uh, for fun, also because when I was, this is going to sound very random, but when I was 14 years old, uh, I think I was no, it was probably younger than that. When I was younger, <laughs> Back to the Future was a big influence on me. Okay, I told you it was going to get random. We're going to take a tangent. We're going to come right back. Let's do it. Back to the Future was awesome. Uh, at the end of the movie, you know how the wheels turn up and the dude, or they fly away in the flying car. I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. So um, I was like, I want to, this is probably, I mean, I think I was maybe like 9, 10, 11 years old. I was like, I want to design flying cars. That's what I want to do for my job. And my older brother was like, cool, you want to design flying cars? You're going to need to be a mechanical engineer. I said, okay, mechanical engineer. I locked that in my brain. Uh, then we were at the grocery store one day, picked up a US News and uh, flipped, you know how they have like the best colleges and universities? Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so I flip over uh, and I see best colleges for mechanical engineering. We got MIT was number one at the time and then Stanford and then some other schools I don't quite remember. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go to MIT. Well. Fast forward a few years, I learned, oh, oh, Caltech was one of them too. Uh, so I learned that MIT is like in a cold place. Caltech is in California, but it was all work, no play. Stanford was like the best mix of work and play from what I had read, right? So when it came time to apply for schools, I was like, oh yeah, I did want to be a mechanical engineer once. I had thought about Stanford. Like, let me just fill out the application and see what happens. Uh, well, sure enough, I got the big envelope and oh, I, I was... Lord, I was like, but I was going to go to Texas State. I didn't, I wasn't even planning for this. But when you get the big envelope from Stanford, it's like, what are you going to say no? Like, so, uh, so off I went to California, man. That was Dude, the beginning what? of my. <laughs> there, there, there's so much, there's so much. To, I, I want to, I know, I know. I want to rewind to one thing real quick and then we'll get to Stanford because Stanford is, listen, there's tons of meat on that bone. Uh, cause, I mean, because <laughs> it's freaking Stanford. One thing you said really struck me. Uh, he was like, yeah, you know, we didn't really have, it, it kind of sounded like you were trying to say, we didn't really have like these traditional hierarchies in my school, man. It was kind of like, 
hey, the band guys talk to the jocks and, you know, the black people talk to the white people, talk to Asian people, all this yep. stuff. Dude, same thing. Uh, so, like, went to school South Louisiana, about 10 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and I, uh, I did theater. And uh, I did football in junior high theater in high school. And like all of the jocks did theater. Like all of, wow. it was so weird. All of the band people were like uh, some of the football players were in the band. So it was like really weird. And so whenever I'll tell someone from uh, North Carolina or something like that, oh, yeah, I did theater in high school. Like, oh, so you were a drama nerd. No, it was mm. not that vibe. It was not mm. that vibe at all. It was like it was just like a bunch of freaking clowns in theater. and there was like no hierarchies like or yeah it was just really 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 different than what yeah. i think a lot of people um here do, yeah. do you know do you have like an idea you think why that's the case why it's so non-traditional in the south ooh good question um why would it be so non-traditional yeah i, I hadn't thought about that i just uh you know i just took it for what it was i said hey cool i landed at a school that you know i think it because we didn't, I didn't grow up in like a rich area. It was just, everybody was, there wasn't really a way to separate based on money. Um, and so, cause we all had about the same, you know, we all, and we had all, you know, the other thing is, I think we had known each other for a very long time. So the same, I got to, to San Antonio fourth grade. So you're like nine years old. Right. And those same kids I was in fourth grade with grew up, um, you know, we went to high school together. So I don't even know if they knew who they were back in fourth grade, fifth grade, when we all became friends, right? So it kind of makes sense that there would be this integration of people because um, you, you're not a, you don't identify as a football person or a band person when you're, when you're 10 years old. You're just like, oh, that funny guy. So as people start to like separate into their different groups, it doesn't mean that we have to like forget we were cool with each other. So I think that might've been something that might have something to do with it. Hey, I think that's a good point because, uh, my, my school too was, I mean, we're super poor, uh, very small town kind of, and there was like a private school and there was a public mm -hmm. school. All the white folks went to the private school. Everybody else went to the public school. And so we were all poor, you know, like, mm -hmm. bro, if you had some air force ones, like you were on it, like, Oh man, Lord, oh, where man. you got those from? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and mm -hmm. so maybe, maybe that's what it is, but I don't know. Since, since you've done some traveling, I tell you, and and mm. and, and I'm gonna get off of this after after this point. Uh, but this is fascinating because uh, I've never heard someone um, echo my experiences. Uh, Your experience, exactly. Uh, one thing I've noticed, at least down here in Southern Louisiana, is lots of folks I talk to talk about, man, bro, I'm so so sorry you lived in the South down there. All that Del going racism, man. Mm. I'm so sorry about y'all mm. that racism. But I tell you one thing, mm. in Southern Louisiana is the only place that I've traveled, uh, like, the, well, the South, I'll say, but uh, sp specifically Southern Louisiana, only place I travel where you go to the grocery store, you go to the gym, you see black and white people chit-chatting, hanging out all the time. This is like normal. This is so normal. I remember I moved to like Springfield, Illinois. There's some black people there. There's some white people there. It's segregated, bro. It's like mm. like 1940 segregated. You go to like mm. other places, they exist, but they're segregated. And it, I was mm. like, I was so blown away at that. Like you see like the yep. black, black people working out with the black people, the white people working out with the white yep. people. I was like, whoa, this is so different. I was like, um, 
I was like, man, this is strange. Have you noticed yeah. that though? Oh, so I didn't really experience racism until I got to California. Oh, shit. Isn't it? Like, yeah, it's in Houston, no problems. San Antonio, no problems. Um, like, I got called the N word one time, and it was by a friend of mine because we, our team had won in soccer. And I was like talking trash. This is like real young too. And he called me the N word and then I like shoved him and then it was over. Like we went and ate lunch together and he didn't mean it. It was just like, you know, I'm upset. So there was, I didn't have any problems with like race in, in, uh, elementary, middle high school. It was when I got to college. That was the very first time I was like, Oh, racism for real. So yeah, it, I'm sure it's not that way everywhere in Texas. Believe me. They're, they're racist, very racist parts of Texas. But San Antonio just wasn't one of those towns. And I guess Southern Louisiana, which I always thought, to, I'll be totally honest with you, I had a, like, uh, I thought it was racist there. I would, if you told me you're from Southern Louisiana, I would be like, yeah, there's probably some, some racism going down. So I'm really surprised to, to hear that. Yeah. Yep. Well, there, listen, I have a completely, I have a hot take on racism uh, that, and hey, this is coming from a guy. I grew up as a minority in my high school, right? There were 600 kids in my high school. Yeah. There, was, there was 20 white kids. I was one of them. Uh, but so I have hot takes on it. So yeah, you will hear lots of like uh, N words, you know, lots of mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. racist stuff. But in my opinion, these people don't hate you because of the color of their skin. They're making mm -hmm. fun of you in the same way I would call a fat person fat. Um, it's right, just, right, it's, right. it's like a, it's like a brand new attack vector. It's like, Hey, you piss me yeah. off. Oh, by the way, you're black in word. Right. It's not right. like, I, I don't hate you. It's just like, Oh, you piss me off. You have glasses. Shut up four eyes. Oh, you piss me off. Mm -hmm. You're fat. Go eat some more. That's how I see it used. It's yes. not right at all. It's really fucked up, mm -hmm. but, um, mm -hmm. th there is, there's a lot of that. Uh, but there's a, it's a different mentality. It's not like I'm superior to you. It sounds like it's more like, I'm just going to say whatever I can to hurt you. And it just so happens to be the thing that's the most obvious to me is that you're this color or you're this size or whatever. So I'm going to just go and throw it out there because uh, I'm trying to get under your skin. But at the end of the day, I bet you that same person, I mean, I would hope, you know, they probably hang out with black people at, at different in different parts of the day or something like that. They probably have some black friends that, and everybody's mingling. But uh, maybe at the when it comes down to uh, when people have tempers, here's what I've noticed. Like all bets are off. I don't, when people like lose their temper, you just never know what's going to happen. So, you know, hey, but like I said, never a problem with me. And uh, I'm also, you know, to, I'm like, here you go. I don't really come off that way. Like I'm, you know, again, super nerdy. And uh, I mean, I'm nerdy, but like, I just don't really strike people as being like ultra black. You know, so I got, I used to get it real bad from what's black ultra kids black? actually at, at church. Describe yeah, ultra let's stop black. there, right? Like I didn't talk the same way, right? I didn't walk the same way. I didn't dress the same way. So if anything, I ever experienced like people hating from my own race because they would be like, oh, God, that guy, he's an Oreo. That's what I would get a lot, which fair enough. You know, I do sound super nerdy. If you were to talk to me on the phone, you know, you would think, oh, who is this white guy? And that tends to be a superpower of mine when I'm on the customer service. Like if I nice. use it to my advantage, but I mean, I just, I think the, so here's my take on the whole thing. No matter what race, gender, um, no matter what it is, there's, everybody's got some challenges. And we happen to live in a pretty amazing country where we are not um, held down. You know, like we're not imprisoned because of our beliefs. I mean, there's just so much. There's so many reasons um, 
to, or I guess ways to rise above, it's not possible for everyone. And I, I think the biggest issue here in America is like money. And so it's, you can't tell people to just like pull themselves up by their bootstraps and expect that they can go run to their uncle who's got a you know big checkbook. But as far as the world goes, like there's a lot of opportunity here. And if you can spend uh, time focusing on the negative and there will always be negative and there will always be something to focus on. Um, and you'll always be right about the negative things. You know, these things are true. Like you are being oppressed in this way or whatever. But I mean, you can focus on the on the positive instead and what you do have control over and try to go make the best of that situation. It doesn't always work, but we'll, if you had to choose between the two, I choose to have a positive, hopeful mindset uh, and perspective. And that's what you need in order to get up in the morning, you know, like, and go try again, is the belief that it could work this time. So I don't think that that negative mindset really serves you as much. Um, it's good to be, I mean, I guess you don't want to be like naive and all that. Although I would tell you right off the bat, I'm extremely like naive and trusting of people because I just believe that I'm going to be fine either way. Like if someone wrongs me, I feel bad for them, but I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be taken care of. Like, uh, but you know, I, I just want to, I don't want to focus on that stuff. If it's in your face, deal with it. But otherwise I'm thinking like, how can I, how can I move for one step further? And how can I, as I move one step further, how can I bring people with me? Right. Yeah. I take what I learned, pass it back. I take the relationships I have and then share that with other people. Um, because that's what brings me joy and that's, what's going to help all of us at the end of the day. So yeah, that's just a little bit of my mentality. And I think that's a superpower. So I, th I definitely think, uh, if you ever tell anybody that, don't let them poo-poo you because, listen, one thing, I think it's a rarity. And two, I think it's a superpower because, damn, bro, a lot of doggone people are depressed. So let, that was a quick tangent. So let's get back. Okay, Stanford, right? Uh, this is this is not a small thing. Okay, this is like, I mean, I, I don't know the numbers, but this is probably like a top five, top 10 college, hardest college to get into in America. Like, for one, like... Do you have any tips or like, what was your process of like getting accepted? Yes, I do have some tips. Um, it is don't be, if you want to go to Stanford specifically, you should have a life outside of academics. So I think one of the things they pride themselves on is it's not just people who know how to study and get good grades. The fact that I was in band really helped a lot. Um, the fact that I did clubs, I tried to do a lot of clubs because they want to see that you can juggle more than just the books, right? And they also, I think, want to create a culture on campus of people who are interesting. And, you know, um, of course, we're all nerds in our own way. You get us on our one topic and we'll go on and on about it. But, you know, everybody there had a lot of different interests and it was a really great way to experience the world through these other people's stories and perspectives and, and you know, things they had done. So I, I you know, applaud Stanford for not just taking the smartest um, people, you know, uh, they take well-rounded people. So be well-rounded. That would be my, but you still have to get pretty good, good grades. And yeah. So, so what, what uh -huh. was your GPA? My GPA in high school was like 3.78 wow. something. That's a long time ago. So I don't want to, I'm not trying to that's tell you a wrong number, but I think it was like in the high threes. That's pretty good. Dude. But this is, I think they changed the scale. I think it's on a 5.0 scale now. I graduated in 2001, mm. so from high school. Yeah. So is it a 5.0 scale now? I, I have no clue. 
had no clue. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will tell you this. And so this is something I kind of struggle with. And so I'm just going to, I love that we're just being real right now. Let's do it. There's a, there's a, a huge chance I got into Stanford because I was black. Like I did oh, well sure. academically. I got like a 1370 on my SATs, with the, which at the time it was out of 1600. I think it's higher now. I think, but I heard like you needed to get a 1400 or better to really be considered. So I got a 1370. I was like borderline, but I did these extra activities. And so I, to this day, I cannot tell you whether I got into Stanford because they had to hit a quota or because I actually deserved to be there. And that is something that like, if I think about it for too long ago, kind of, it's like a little bit, un, un, it's like uh, makes you a little bit unsure of yourself. But I, the way I think about it, um, really the way I try to mostly think about it is like, what did I do with that opportunity? Cause I was given a shot and did I take it and run with it? Am I trying to make the world a better place? Like, and if the answer is yes, then who cares why I got in? Yeah. It was, it was given to me and I'm making the most of it. So yeah. Hey, explain that. So what do you mean whenever people, some people may hear, Oh, you got in the Stanford cause you're black. Like what, what, what the hell does that mean? How does that even happen? So they, you know, back when I was, I don't know what it is like today, but so I went in 2001, September of 2001, um, and they wanted to increase the number of diverse or increase the amount of diversity on campus. Right. So um, very strong in the like white Asian categories. I don't think they were super strong in like the black male category. So I don't think they just took any black male, but I think if you put my, I think there was probably there could there's a chance that someone might have been a better fit or had better uh, scores or whatever, but they already there were already too many of them, and so mm-hmm. I might have taken someone's place at Stanford. And you know, I, I I don't know how to I'm like should I feel bad about that or you know, but I didn't make the rules. And here's the thing, life is going to be unfair to you in some ways, and sometimes it's going to be a positive unfair, sometimes it's going to be a negative unfair. You just take what you, you make, what you can of what you're given. And if I was given a negative unfair, you know, or a positive, excuse me, a positive unfair, like it was unfairly to my advantage. Um, I mean, nothing, I didn't, again, nothing I can do to change that, except it's like, what can I do now with that opportunity that I was given? And I'm going to do my darndest to try and again, make the world a better place. Uh, and that's my way of like deserving to be there, you know, deserving to have had that, um, that experience. So yeah. Hey man, listen, deserve it or not. Listen, I'm so glad you got in. I think you definitely deserve it. You sound like an awesome person. Uh, and I wish that, um, I wish I, I recently heard a guy saying that like, you know, he's, he's a 50 year old guy. He was like, uh, yeah, man, whenever I went to school, like elite colleges, I think he went to UCLA elite colleges mm-hmm. job was to take unextraordinary kids and make them extraordinary. It's like now all of these colleges of like, you have to be like the 1% of 1% of 1% to even get into these great mm-hmm. colleges. And so yeah. I'm like, yeah, hey, how about, can we get like, like a hundred thousand, like single mothers in Stanford, bro? Like these are the people who, wow. these are people who need it, man. Wow. These people like, this is opportunities they'll never see. So bro, well, can, good on, you, on that. I love that you said that because um, some, there's absolutely a, a school of thought that says we you know, here you, um, the, it could have been better, Like there could have been better students at Stanford who, you know, like you didn't deserve to be there or like, you know, they shouldn't have let these people in. And it's the, the campus life is worse because of it. Right. Like, why are you doing, just let the best people in. 
um, regardless. Okay, so that's one school of thought. Here's the thing that I have learned. Pro- life is full of problems to be solved, right? Like this is what drives entrepreneurs. Um, every day there's some problem to solve and people solve it in different ways. So when you get a bunch of the same people who have had the same experiences in a room together to try and solve a problem, what you get are the same solutions. And this is actually bad um, because the best way to find, to like have a, a leap in any sort of like field or technology is to have a, a wide range of experiments being run. One of those experiences is, or experiments is gonna be the thing that like creates the breakthrough. But again, if everybody's from the same background, you're gonna, you're not gonna run as wide of a range of experiments and you're not gonna get that breakthrough. So I, you know, in, in thinking about it, um, it actually, in companies, they try to do this, you know, bring diversity. And it's not just to follow the rules. It is because some, someone who grew up in a small town in like, okay, so you, you said Southern Louisiana, yep. right? You're going to come with a different solution than someone who grew up in Southern California. Um, it's just your solutions tend to be like an amalgamation of all these experiences and your intuition all mixed into one. And it's great to have diversity because I think it creates a stronger, a stronger set of solutions, which helps, you know, push humanity forward. So we want to give more people from different backgrounds, these opportunities, because uh, there's a lot of geniuses out there, but they're geniuses in a different way. They're not geniuses on the like scale that you might be measuring, but they've got, they've got something in them that's going to be a blessing to the world, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So yeah. D- diversity of thought is always, listen, I'm, I'm a coder. I work in tech. This is huge. Uh, Always mm. is it's not always the smartest guy in the room. The the best solution is always the best approach. It doesn't have to come from a genius. Um, a lot of times geniuses, their their brain is like boxed in to shloop. This is how I think, but boy, I can yes. go deep. But uh, you know, some people they'll just be like, Oh, why why are we even doing it like this? What do you this this is mm-hmm. obviously the wrong way? We should do it like that. And it's like, oh, so yeah, man, give more people a seat at the table, get different thoughts in, man. Stop with the you know, everybody looks and sounds the same, thinks the same. So let, let's go to Stanford. Yes. Okay. So we are at Stanford. Okay. I think everybody wants to know, like, what is that, um, what is that campus like? Like, what's the, what's the vibe? Man, Stanford is so cool. Um, like, I cannot even lie. Like, I loved, uh, I loved the campus. I, I made some really, I met some really great people there. Um, you know, again, there's bad parts of every school if you want to look for it, right? But I was, I was so happy there. Um, in terms of just being surrounded by one of the most beautiful campuses in the whole world, like first and foremost, you just you bike around, and you're like, are you serious right now? It's like palm trees everywhere, and it's, uh, you have incredible, you know, resources, um, and you're meeting people from all over the world. And you know what I loved about it was there. I think this is different than some other schools. Like maybe if I had gone, I don't think it's the same way at Harvard, for example. At Stanford, I didn't know who was rich. Like, wow. I, so there was someone who was a, she was a princess who was there while oh, I was there. Um, I forget where she, which country she was a princess of, but she was like hecka cool. Um, you know, and everybody was, it was more about who you were as a person than what you drove or how much money your parents made. Everyone was like, really, really down to earth. Again, this was a while ago. This was 2001 to 2005. I would love to believe it is the same way now. And I, I, there's probably a pretty good chance that it is, but, um, man, yes. The only complaint I have about Stanford was, so I told you the first time I experienced racism, 
was in California. It was definitely a Stanford. And it was because I asked a girl out who was not like, I'm black. She was Indian. And, uh, and I asked her out and she said, no, I can't date you. My parents would disown me. And I was like, oh, that's a, I figured it was an excuse that she was making up because she didn't like me. And I was like, you know, in my head, I'm like, you just tell me you don't like me. You don't have to like say your, your parents will disown you. No, but she, come to find out she's dead serious. Um, her parents would have disowned her. And then I was like, well, that was a unique experience. Okay. <laughs> but that's probably one person. The very next person I asked on a date said the same thing. She was, she was Chinese. And she said, sorry, I can't date you. Uh, my dad would disown me. And I was like, oh, this seems to be a theme. So um, for not for that reason alone, also because I'm a huge dork, but like I didn't go on a single date the whole four years I was at Stanford. Not for lack of trying, because wow. I do get out there and ask, but it wasn't until like I left Stanford that I and moved to LA and we'll, we'll probably talk about that. But like that was the first date I had been on in four years. So that was my one gripe about Stanford, yeah. So, yo, that's crazy, man. From what I understand, like other c- cultures and countries, like uh, China and stuff. And listen, I'm not trying to speak for them. I'm super uneducated about these cultures. But from what I understand, bro, they do not fuck around with that stuff. Like, they're <laughs> like, hey, you cannot be friends with a gay guy. Hey, you cannot date outside mm-hmm. your race. You cannot date outside your religion. Like crazy shit. Um, this is just hearsay, but mm-hmm. bro, that so it's well, yeah. And, we're, you know, again, I'm not speaking for everybody because I, I mean, I met the coolest people ever who were of all different races. It just so happened that like a couple of the people I asked out said the exact same thing. And I was like, oh, wow, that is very interesting. And uh, but, you know, other than that, like, oh, when I was in Stanford. OK, so here's what I this was pretty unusual. Um, most people, when they go to Stanford, they major in at the time it was like pre-med was the big thing. So everybody was like pre-med. That, that was what one of the big majors and then computer science was on the rise. Now computer science is it. Like that is what, you know, you go to Stanford because you're going to make some connections. You're going to start a company. You know, a lot of people are there for that. Um, I majored in music science and technology, which is, remember I told you I wanted to be an audio engineer. Like uh, that's what I was going to do. I was going to go to Southwest Texas or Texas state used to be called Southwest Texas. And, um, and I still wanted to, well, okay. So here's what really happened. I got Stanford. I was like, okay, I should be an engineer, like an electrical engineer, um, because I heard, I'm not going to lie. I was like, I want, I, I could do that. I heard they make a lot of money. Like, okay, I like engineering. It's not mechanical engineering, but I'm also kind of interested in electronics. So let me try electrical engineering. Okay. I went to, um, I guess it was called like electrical engineering 101, right? The, I went to the first class and in that class, the professor covered everything i had been through in high school physics in the first 45 minutes oh, right and then the last like 15 minutes was stuff i'd never heard of and i was like oh i am way out of my league here i left that class like dropped electrical engineering as a major and went to music like right? i was like I, that's not for me and then i i called my i remember calling my parents uh and i was like hey um I think I kind of want to major in, you know, music science and technology, this engineering thing, music engineering thing. And they're like, that's cool. You can do whatever you want. Um, just know there's a great chance you're going to be broke for a while. <laughs> like if you major in this, we don't care, but you're probably going to be broke. They were right. Um, so, but they let me, they let me do that. And I ended up having a blast uh, in the, in, they call it the MST. Yeah. 
uh, program, or Karma is another name for it. Anyway, I had a blast in that program. I, was, I lived in the recording studio. Stanford has a recording studio, by the way, like a legit big board, you know, speakers and um, a, a isolation room. I mean, and I lived there. There were times I literally slept in the, the recording studio. So um, I'm glad my parents were like, do what you want to do, have fun, follow your dreams. And, uh, just be prepared to deal with the consequences. So like what I said, what okay. is, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about what is music, science and technology. Is that right? Like what, what what's some, what does oh, that cover? Yeah. What kind of major is that? I'm just throwing that around like it's normal. Um, so everybody knows what music is, right? So we had to learn, MST majors had to learn all the music theory stuff. The difference was we weren't performance. Like we weren't a music performance major. So it wasn't like I was majoring in flute or piano or voice. I was majoring in the science and the technology that goes along with music. So in other words, like the science of sound wow. and how things like bounce around a room and how computers can like alter, you know, writing different algorithms to change the, the, the sound of, of whatever you put through the computer. I mean, super fun, very small major. And it, it was my way of getting into that recording studio. I mean, I wanted to do whatever major was going to allow me to have access to the studio because that's, I knew that's what I wanted to spend a lot of time on. And so it wasn't until I think freshman year, I couldn't get into the studio because I hadn't taken the intro to, to you know studio course. I think I got in at the end of sophomore year, maybe. Yeah, it must have been like the end of sophomore year. And then once I was in, I mean, shout out to Jay Cadis, uh, my professor. He couldn't get rid of me. I was there all the time. So it was, it was a good look. That's awesome. For sure. So whenever we talk about Stanford, I think what, what were the parties like? I mean, was, cause whenever people think of Stanford, oh. it's like, Hey man, listen, you know, the, the ignorant people like me, it's like, man, it's a bunch of nerds. Are people in the corner doing math at parties or are they doing drugs like normal people at parties? There was, I'm sure people were doing some drugs. <laughs> maybe it was, they were, there was no math being done. Not at the parties. There was math being done at the library, like all, all times of uh day and night but it was i think mostly it was um just people trying to like hook up with each other nice. <laughs> like that was i didn't go to a lot of parties it's, uh, i'm uh, so one thing i didn't mention is i'm crazy introverted i doesn't seem like that because I, I when you get me on a topic i love like i'm i'm, I'm open up but like i was pretty comfortable just like hanging out at, in in the library or hanging out in my room but sometimes i would go to parties because i knew someone because i hung out with musicians too you know yeah. so like I knew someone that was going to a party. They'd invite me over, and it was it, it was like very innocent in a lot of ways. Um, what do you like mean? You're dancing. It was in like in that. I don't think the drug culture had really. It, it maybe has now, like, but it wouldn't be the type of drugs. I actually have no idea what's going on, like at the student body. I don't even want to suggest that I know. But like at the time, it was just mostly like the worst thing you might see was some out al like alcohol. And uh, I don't even remember seeing that too often. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, there was alcohol. There was alcohol. So um, kids have, they have fun. They really do. Um, I would say our parties were pretty cool. Um, but, you know, again, I didn't have like tons of party experience. But I was like, this is more than I was doing back home, you know. Uh, so it was, it was fun. I like yeah, it. man, dude, I would pay so much money to go to one of the parties, man. I'd be like, hey, what's up? You got to I want to talk to everybody oh, that has a startup right now. Just line up single file. <laughs> the next Mark Zuckerberg. The, the whole room. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Every, I think everybody has a startup now. That's what you do at Stanford these days. But um, yeah, no, it was it was it was fun. Um, 
And can I can I just do can I just tell you yeah. one other thing that I loved? And I was very alone in this experience, but I had they have dining halls there, right? They have dorms and dining halls. And uh I stayed in Stern the whole four years. Stern was a, a dorm. I was in Larkin, then Twain, then Burbank, and then Zapata. And so I just basically moved around this dorm. This dorm the, the center of the dorm was stern dining and stern dining was all you can eat do you know how happy i was like it was oh my i was like i could just keep going back for more and more and more so i had a meal plan that gave me you know three meals a day and i took full advantage i was they knew me in that dining hall like saul who ran the dining hall like other people they hey what's up dj because i was there Gained 10 pounds freshman. Oh, I was, I was just about to ask, did you hit the freshman 15? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess it was 15. But I don't know if I got 15, but I, I think I got 10. In. Um, but I was also riding my bike a lot nice. more. So uh, maybe that helped. But yeah, no, I was so happy to have like an abundance of food. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude, yeah. that sounds, I mean, <laughs> listen, first of all, you have a ton of self-discipline for just keeping it to 10 because all you can eat Stanford, I bet, <laughs> I bet it was decent food too. It wasn't crap. So I'm sure. Boy, I've been 25. It was yeah. decent. To me, it was decent. A lot of people make fun of Stern Dining. I don't know why. To me, it was it was decent. So uh it was more than you know, when you're back when you're a kid growing up in San Antonio and you're eating a Taco Bell all the time because it's cheap, uh I, I was like, This is heaven. So yeah, yeah. that sounds good. Love so it. so you go to Stanford. Did you graduate with any student debt or I had yeah, I would uh I just looked at this. So one of the cool things about not having a ton of money when you go to Stanford is they have a really good financial aid program. So I think I graduated with $15,000 worth of debt after four years, Whoa. if you can believe that. Yeah, 15000 So, you know, shout out to my mom too. My mom was paying like five grand a quarter. to, So she paid five grand yeah. a quarter for three quarters. And then the rest of it was covered by um, a really wealthy woman, older lady. I, I met her once. She was like, in her 80s probably and she had this it was a fund dedicated to people who were majoring in music who didn't have the like money to to uh, pay the full price and i was one of the kids who got that i, I wouldn't even call it a scholarship because i didn't do anything to apply for it except not have a lot of money that's all i had to do and i got it and then i think that covered a lot of it and then yeah the rest of it was like a few loans but not you know it's wild though i'm still paying on my student loans Fifteen that fifteen thousand dollars. I have about two or three thousand dollars left. Yo. Yeah. So I could tell you why. We could maybe we get into that. But there's a very specific, like, mathematical reason why I chose to pay as little as possible on my student loans. Uh, so yeah. Yo, it's got it's got to be the interest rate, man. Interest rate on student student loans are crazy, right? Was well, it's, it's like crazy low compared to a credit card. Well, so okay, okay, I'll just go ahead and, and drop it right now. Um, so the interest rate on my student loans were less than 5%. And if I had a choice between putting a ton of money into my paying off my student loans or putting a lot of money into investing into the stock market, and I'll explain what that means here in just a second, because it's not the type of investing you're probably thinking about. Um, it's a better return on investment to put your money into the stock market. So in other words, if I, if I could, let's just say I can make a 5% return over here, or I can make a like eight to 10% return in the stock market, if you have $1,000, you should probably put most of it over into the thing that can make you a higher return. And that's what I did. So I put uh, a small amount into my student loans, and then I put uh, a larger amount towards investing because 
with compound interest and over time, that money is going to turn into a lot more. Whereas, you know, paying off a student loan is like, okay, yay, I paid those off, but am I going to be able to take care of myself when I'm 70 years old? You know, that's, I wanted to set myself yeah, up for that. Yeah, I, I, I think I know what you're saying. And it is somewhat hard to explain. I think I, I've heard kind of like that principle being applied to like uh, down payments on houses. Some people say, hey, I want to I want to mm-hmm. pay off 50% of my house because I got a big sack of money. And I think what, some, uh, what yeah. a lot of, I guess, smart financial people say, but like, no, do not pay off 50%, pay off the, no- or put a down payment of uh, whatever, 20%, take yeah. the other 30, put it in the market. And then you, yeah. that money is making you money at a much higher rate than your house will ever appreciate. Um, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like, so if I'm, you could look at it as I'm borrowing money at 5%, let's just say it's 5%, it's close to four and a half or something. But my student loan is like, I'm borrowing money at 5% and I'm using that money to kind of go make 8%. Yeah, yeah. So you see, there's like a, that's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, what arbitrage opportunity. So, um, so yeah, that's why I'm like, I just paid the minimum on student loans. And I don't even really think about them. It's just, but I almost thought I was going to get rid of them, but as to as of today, which is we're in October of 2022. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I do not get my student loans forgiven because they're held by Nelnet. Anybody out there have Nelnet? Nelnet. Um, so because they're held by a private company, I can't get my student loans. For. I was so excited for a second. I was like, oh, they're going to be forgiven. But oh, no. Nope. Uh, so so you're talking about the bill that passed that forgave like up to 10 grand of student loan debt. Uh, I, yeah. I have a quick yeah. story about that too. Um, so I had $2,000 left in student loan debt and I, and it was, it was held by whatever the government entity is or whatever. And uh, so I was paying the government. It was paused cause COVID and man, they kept freaking spamming mm-hmm. me like, Hey, you need to, Hey, we've extended the deadline. You need to come in and click this button. Hey, by the way, we just, uh, we lowered your interest rate. Could you please? And I was like, Oh my gosh. But all this COVID stuff, I was like, it's two mm. grand. I was like, I'm gonna just pay it off. I paid it off a month later. Biden announced <laughs> that all of my student loan debt would have been forgiven. So literally the month, one month, yeah, I yeah. like li- I'm not exaggerating. One month before it was announced that all of my student loan debt, because I only had wow. two thousand left, all of it would have been forgiven. I paid it off yeah. cash like a, a dummy. Or I guess not a dummy, I just didn't know that. Wait, wait, wait. What year was that? Was that twenty twenty one? You no, paid that it off? was this year. That was this year. Twenty oh, twenty. Yeah, yeah, that was this year. So you're probably going to get that money returned to you if it was held by a federal. Like, you know, they're going to return payments like all the way back to 2020. Oh, shit. oh no, I didn't you know about this. That. Oh shit! Yeah, go look that up, man. You might, you might, if it was held by like the federal government. I can't remember all the rules, and they're, they're always changing. But who held your loans? Yeah, so it was, it was a by a bunch of companies like. Um, so like one company would sell it to the other, would right. sell it to the other, but like it was all like backed, I think, by or bound by like the federal government student loan stuff. Like it was all, but uh, like okay. was, so like it, it was weird. But and the only reason I say that is because whenever like they, they made me like sign a bunch of stuff based on like the bills passed and all of this, and um, mm-hmm. but no, I'll definitely look into that. Thank you. Yeah. You check, check it out. Yeah, I hope I'm hoping uh, I got my fingers crossed for you, man, because that would be pretty sweet to get all your payments back plus the what you just paid off. So yeah, hey, if I do, I'm I'm, I'm gonna send you a big old bouquet of flowers because you earned it and then some. So uh, Ooh, can I get a can I get a uh, one of those fruit baskets? What are they? What's the ones that are made out of fruit? Edible oh, arrangements. Those. Done. Okay. 
Animal arrangements. Thank you. Of yes. course, man. I love. If I get back a, a check for two grand, dude, I would love you to death. Okay, so. Oh my god! So you went to Stanford. I'm, I'm assuming you graduated, and and then what? What happened? Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's what happened. Um, I did graduate, absolutely, and uh, I think my I do remember my GPA from Stanford it was like three point four. That's really good. So I like That's I did really okay. Good. You know, did all right. But I'll tell you. Oh, maybe I shouldn't tell you this. Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. But like, no disrespect to Stanford or anything. But the hardest part about Stanford really is getting in. Once you're in, they don't really want you to fail. So like, you'd have to really do a lot to fail. I mean, you have to do a lot to do really, really well. But you're probably gonna land somewhere in the middle if you just show up, you know, and go to class and like turning your homework. So um, I, I think high school academically was probably harder than Stanford because I was doing so much all these extracurricular activities and then like you have all these different classes. But when you go to college, you kind of get to just, you know, once you get past your first intro set of classes, you know, like get past freshman year, you get to take a lot of classes that you're interested yeah. in. So it was, it was fun. Um, so I, I told you, I wanted to be an audio engineer. Well, where do you go to? What is an audio engineer? engineer? Where? Oh, thank you. Yes. An audio engineer is the person who is on the other side of the glass from your favorite recording artists and they're the ones at the computer and they're hitting record or they're mixing and they're doing that whole thing. And I, I, I was not an artist, but I loved, um, I loved being on the other side of the board. I actually did get to work with some really great artists while I was there. And I would be remiss if I didn't like, uh, say that, you know, I have to give a huge thank you to my very good friend, MC Lars. Uh, he is a, a nerdcore slash lit hop MC raps about like, uh, Edgar Allan Poe and stuff like that. Awesome. That dude took me around the world. So mind you, I'm a kid from San Antonio, Texas, right? Freshman year, I get a knock on my door from this this guy I don't know who thinks I'm a DJ because my I had a whiteboard on the outside of my board. It said DJ's board. So he knocks on my door. He's like, hey, uh, are you a DJ? And I was like, no, but I love music. And he's like, oh, cool. Me too. I'm starting a band. Like, you think you might want to check out some of my stuff and maybe come out to practice? And I was like, Okay, because freshman year, you're just like open-minded to everything. So sure enough, I went out to practice uh, a couple of weeks later. We played our first show, and then it really just kind of took off from there. He got a record deal in the UK, so we would fly over to the UK all the time. Loved, We got so much love over there. And I got to go to Japan. We went all around Europe with uh, a really great band named Zebrahead. And it was just like pretty amazing, all the stuff I got to do. But okay, so now let me... That was partially in Stanford, partially outside of Stanford. But let me take you back to the graduation um, period. Uh, so graduated the day after I graduated, I moved to L.A. because that's where you go to go be uh, a record. You know, that's where all the recording artists are. That's where all the music is happening. So at least on the West Coast, went to L.A. Uh, with my U-Haul full of stuff, moved in with my buddy Frederick in Altadena and uh, just started trying to make my way into the music industry. And I got a, a job working for a guy named Emmanuel Dean. He, he had like some hits back in the day. I can't remember which one, but he was a, a producer. So he didn't rap or sing or anything like that. He would be the person, you know, making the beats. And then he had an engineer uh, in there named Green and I was the other engineer. And so we'd be in this like tiny little smoky studio, just like working on, uh, stuff and he, I got paid no money. I mean, I got paid basically in tips, kinda. I think I made eighty dollars that whole month, and I was there all the time, right? 
uh, I meet this guy comes in one day. Uh, his name is uh, Father MC. Well, that was his old name was Father MC. Now he goes by Fan Body. I think he's still alive, but he had a, a big hit. Actually, he had Diddy wow. in his video like back in the in the 90s. So this guy was like a big deal in the 90s. He, he discovered like Diddy and Mary J. Blige and um, all these people. But, you know, when I met him in like 2002, he hadn't done anything in a while. And he was trying to get his, you know, get his mojo back on with his new image and stuff. And um, I ended up linking up with him. This dude basically, I don't, he, I won't say he stole money, like right off, like outright, but he got money out of me because he was like, listen, man, um, I need to see my sick aunt oh, in no. Las Vegas. Okay. I need $700 to fly out there. If like, you know, please, can you help me? And I was like, I got you, man. Uh, Cause he actually helped me get a job. He helped me get a job at a record, uh, not a record label, but like a, a I forget publishing company called kid gloves, music publishing. And uh, so I got a job at this publishing, his publishing label. So I felt like I owed him something. You know, gave him the seven hundred dollars. He went out and saw his sick aunt. I was like, "Cool." He's like, "I got you. I'm gonna give this back to you. Don't worry." It's like he said, "When my record, when my record, um, uh, money comes in, I got lawyers working on the deal. You know, uh, because they owe me a bunch of royalties from back in the day. So when that comes in, I got you." It's like no problem. I'm driving this dude all around town because he lost his license, and you know, so I'm like just trying to be that gopher that can get things done. So you know, that's how you start, right? Um, grand, our, his aunt gets sick again you know, in, in Las Vegas. Oh, so sorry, man. Here's another, like, here's a grand. I'm mind you, I, I don't have this money. I'm like taking out oh, a loan shit. or something. I don't know how I'm getting this money. Yeah. So really, really stupid. Um, and I've, I'll just tell you the end of the story. Never get the money back. Uh, I, I like, don't know where that dude is to this day. Uh, and I left LA broke and broken in about nine months. I was in LA for nine months and I was like, I can't, I don't, I never made any money. Like not really. I mean, the publishing company paid. Okay. It was like two grand a month. Um, so that helped a lot, but I was like, this town is crazy. I gotta get out of here. So moved back to the Bay, moved back to the Bay area after that, a town, a place where I knew the, the scene a little bit. So, yeah. so, so you did like everybody else, right? Moved to LA to chase your dreams and it fizzled out quick. Yeah. And so what, what, what was yeah. your morale like at this time? You know, like kind of tucking your tail and going back to the Bay. What was your plans going to the Bay and what, what was your morale? So when I was at the Bay, when I, when I, when I was at Stanford, I worked at the career development center, uh, as a, you know, student, student worker. So I, but I never thought about really what they did there. Not really. I was, I, but I knew when I thought back to it, I was like, oh, they help people get jobs. That's what the career development center was for. So I hit up some of the people I knew at the career development center and said, Hey, do you have any like people who are looking to hire some, anyone? And they're like, you know what? We just actually found a guy and, um, here's his number. You can call and meet up with them. And that's how I ended up getting the job. But it's so funny. So my mom, right. My mom, was uh, when I was leaving LA, she was hoping I was gonna come back home to San Antonio. Cause she, you know, she she missed me and like, she just knew I would be there. She saw I was flailing out there. She's like, he'll be back. Um, she, she, but she was like, okay, son, here's what I'll do for you. And this is like super cool that she did this. She said, I will put you in a motel anywhere in the country that you wanna go for one week, right? So she's gonna spend like, you know, maybe $70 a night for one week. And if you can find a job, you can stay in that place. Otherwise, you're gonna need to come home. What um, a I woman! Said, okay, I want to go. What a Isn't woman, that man! That this lady is a chestnut checkers woman, man. That's awesome, dude. 
Yeah. And so she was, I was like, I want to go back to the Bay. That's my, that's where I'm going to go. She's like, all right, here you go. Uh, I stayed in like a, uh, like a motel six or something. Um, and within one week, man, I got a job and she was <laughs> shocked. She was like, no way you found a job in one week. And I had, I found a job and I got to stay in the Bay and I was there for like another 20 years. Um, so Holy yeah, it was cool. Shit, man. There's, what a freaking yeah. story, bro. This is phenomenal, man. A guy from San Antonio going to chase his dreams and Stanford to LA. Holy shit. So something something else <laughs> into is this concept of like travel hacking, right? I think this is somewhat yeah. newish. Yeah. Like I last 10 years, I've heard of it. Could you like briefly describe like what the hell is travel hacking and like what are some travel hacks? Yeah. So travel hacking really is like the art of flying for or the art of traveling for really cheap using credit card reward points. That's that's like probably the simplest summary of it. So um, I got into traveling. I mean, so being at this school with all these people from around the world and hearing their stories and hearing about like the food they ate and seeing pictures, I was like, this world is huge. You know, I thought Cal getting out of Texas and going to California was a big deal, but like, there's so much more to see. So, um, I, I knew I had two options. I could major in something that paid a lot of money, get out, go work in corporate, like be a consultant, make, you know, again, a lot of money. A lot of people got out of Stanford and made real money. Right. Um, and, but I, I was like, I'm going to have to be basically chained to my desk a lot. And I'm going to have like, you know, my two weeks of vacation a year. It's going to be rough. I'm going to have to sell my soul. To me, it felt like selling my soul to go and exchange it for like a couple of weeks of travel. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. Well, lo and behold, my aunt, Angeline, uh, my aunt, Ann, I call her aunt, Ann. She um, was a flight attendant for Southwest Airlines. And she said, I, I was talking to her one day. I was like, yeah, auntie, I really want to travel. And she's like, have you ever thought of being a flight attendant? I was like, what? Flight attendant? Like, no. I How do you do that? Because I, I never really talked to her about her job. You know, it was so weird. And uh, she was, and I'm super embarrassed to, to say this, but I'll tell you, this is how naive I was and how much I didn't know about traveling. I thought, when I grew up in Texas, only women could be flight attendants. Like, uh, you know, so that, when, I, when, when she asked me if I wanted to be a flight attendant, I was like, but I wait, I don't, I thought only women could do flight attendants because all the flight attendants I'd ever seen were women. And um, she was like, no, they changed that, you know, a few years back, uh, like in the nineties or something, I forget. And uh, she's like, you could absolutely apply. And I said, okay, but she's like, I gotta tell you, it's pretty hard to get in the Southwest because uh, they get a lot of applicants and don't take a lot of people, but uh, they're hiring right now. So I'll put in a good word for you and we'll see what happens. I got in. Man, I got into the, to, I applied. I went to the interview. I'll never forget it. There was a big room of people. There's probably like 20 of us in, in this room. And it was like a group interview. So we're all sitting in a circle and they're asking questions and you're like, whoever wants to respond can respond. And we do that for like maybe an hour or two hours. They say, okay, listen, we're going to have some people stay back. And then we're going to have some people like come back maybe on a later date. And, you know, they called my name to stay back. And they were like, you ready for the second round of interviews? Because we're doing it right now. So uh, I was one of the few that got picked to like stick around for the second interview, did the interview um, and got in, man. So I went, you know, went to flight attendant training, got my wings. Here's the thing. I got to fly wow. everywhere. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Because once you have those wings, you don't just get to fly on Southwest Airlines. 
the airlines have deals with each other because not to get too technical about this, but like they want other airlines want their employees to be able to fly on your airline and vice versa. So they all make these these deals with each other. So I could fly on like basically any airline within America for free. Like any airline, anytime I was going somewhere within America, I could get there for free. And anytime I left America to go somewhere, I would pay like either the taxes, just the taxes, or I'd pay maybe at most 75% of the ticket cost. Oh, sorry. At most, I would get 75% wow. off the ticket cost. So let me give you a perfect example. I went to the UK on a pretty regular basis with that band I was in, uh, with, with MC Lars. I would pay like 150 round trip to go to the, to go to London. And when I went to Australia, it was like that's 175 really cheap. That's to really go to cheap. Australia. Oh, dude. And I went in business class to Australia because the flight attendants, you know, they see you and they're like, oh, you're one of us. And so they treat you really nice. You always bring a gift, always bring a gift for the flight attendants, you know, especially, I mean, if you're a flight attendant getting on someone else's flight, you bring them a gift. So I would always bring chocolate and, uh, you know, occasionally I get bumped up. So super cool. Cause I know, I know we're talking about travel hacking, so don't worry, we're getting back to it. I, after seven years of being able to travel and do all these great things, I was like, you know what? I, I told you I'm introverted. I like being at home. I got to see and do everything that I wanted to do. And I was like, it's time for something else, you know? But it was so hard to get rid of those wings because once you give up the wings, that there go the free flights. Okay. So I I eventually it took me like two years to to actually trade in the wings. I mean, my gosh. Um, there I was, no money with the, you know, no way to really travel the way I because I still wanted to travel. I just didn't want to travel 500 flights a year. You know, because flight tents, you're just on the road all the time. Um, so I still wanted to travel. Lo and behold, uh, around 2016, this credit card was released called the Chase Sapphire Reserve Card. And any, anybody who knows travel hacking knows exactly the card I'm talking about. It was basically, they call it like the first viral credit card. So this credit card gave you 100,000 points for spending, you know, whatever, $4,000 in three months. It wasn't hard for, for people to do that. This 100,000 points, was worth about a hundred uh fifteen hundred dollars so you know in other words you you spend uh you spend your normal amount of money the, i think that the it had an annual fee of a few hundred dollars like maybe three hundred dollars but you get fifteen hundred dollars so wouldn't you spend three hundred dollars to have them then give you fifteen hundred of value so i got these points and you can use these points for travel and I was like, oh, okay, so let me let me just see like what I can get with this. And I started looking at different points and values and I was like, oh my gosh, I can really like go somewhere. I could go, I could fly there, I could stay in the hotel, and it's not gonna cost me anything. Oh, so this is like a way to start traveling for for cheap or for free without spending money. Because remember, I my whole thing is like I wanted to figure out a way. I'm always trying to hack the system, right? I don't want to just like, here's let me just give over all this money. If there's a way I could get it for cheaper. With like by being honest, you know, of course, um, I'm gonna try to figure that out. And so I, as soon as I heard about travel hacking, I was like, this is it. And so uh, we'll get we'll get to some tips in a second. But like, if you have anything you want to jump yeah. in here with, oh yeah, 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 go for it. So do the flight attendants bang the pilots? I mean, this is where people want to know. Well, uh, so <laughs> that absolutely, if you put people together, oh, no, it doesn't matter what the roles are. Like, tell the truth. It, it's definitely gonna happen. Yeah, actually, South Southwest it has a wall dedicated to couples who met each other at Southwest, and a lot of them are flight attendants and pilots. Holy yeah. so, shit, um, man! That's awesome. I mean, 
it's not it's not like really frowned upon there. So you know, in a normal uh like place of business, you cannot have relations with your someone who's of a different like someone you manage basically. But two two things. One, the pilots. I mean, they do in a way manage the flight attendants kind of on the flight, but they're not really the flight attendant managers. You know, they just kind of like they run the flight. They're the captain and co-captain of the ship. You know, but flight attendants do have managers. And so the managers couldn't date flight attendants as far as I know, but the pilots could. And, um, and that absolutely happened. And it was, it was fine. I mean, it, it was celebrated. You know, you know, um, our stock, the stock code for Southwest Airlines is LVV, nice. love. And if you ever knew, if you knew anything about the founder, the founder, Herb Keller was uh, just a, just a wild, crazy, amazing guy who fought for like what was right and super cool dude. So yeah. Listen, was, if I was a flight a cool attendant, I'd be trying to bang the pilots too. I mean, listen, I I don't I don't understand why it's even like such a topic because you're right. I mean, listen, in all workplaces, everybody's having sex, man. I mean, we spend so much time with these people. But uh I think <laughs> I think everybody just kind of needed to know that. Um but yeah, so so what what are some uh some some some, some travel hacks here for, for people to travel for cheap? So the best travel hack I can give you is get your get your credit right. So like if your credit score is not where you want it to be, go ahead and so do what you got to do to boost that up. Credit right. And then step one, get your credit right. And if you don't know how to do that, there's a lot of there's a lot of education around it. Um, and so it's not hard. It just takes time and it takes a little bit of discipline. Um, but the motive, the, like the carrot on the stick for me is that. I know at the end of this rainbow, I get a whole bunch of free travel. So if I can get my credit right, I'm going to be able to, to do something I want to do, which is like go on these great vacations. Um, and I'll give you some examples of vacations I'm, that I've gone on. But the so the step one, get your credit right. And when I say score, like you want to have your score 740 yeah. or better, you know. So that might take some time. Just give it time. It'll get there. But 740 or better is what you're aiming for because that's really going to give you access to like some of the better travel cards. And then... It's all about the sign-up bonuses. Okay, so when you get a card, they entice you by saying like, hey, if you sign up for this card, we're gonna give you 50,000 points. We're gonna give you 70,000 points, 100,000 points. That's um, that's when you make your most money, I guess you could say, on the credit card. So uh, in other words, most people, think, when they think about earning points, they think, okay, every time I go to the grocery store, I'm gonna pull out my grocery score, store card and I'm gonna swipe and I'm gonna get three points per dollar. And in three, four, five years, I'm going to be able to take that trip I always wanted. And I'm like, that is the slowest possible way to uh, earn points. So what you what you want to do is get the sign-up bonus for one card, get the sign-up bonus for another card, get the sign-up bonus for another card, get the sign-up bonus for another card. So like every three to six months, I basically get a new credit card and get a huge That doesn't kill bonus. your credit? Um, or like how, so how now does that I have, your credit? Oh, I love, the, I love that you asked that question. So my credit score right now, I have six times Holy seven credit card. And, uh, what one yeah, seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, you about to have a full deck? <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> yeah, and my credit score Holy is shit. like eight hundred. So, does it ruin your credit? No, it does not. Uh, you just have to know the rules of the game. It, once you learn the rules, you just learn to play within the rules, mm-hmm. and then there's no problem. So, I'm telling you, this is one of the. We did, a, we did some research over at Vacay HQ, which is the company I'm working on, which is like, we're trying to help bring travel hacking to the masses, right? We did some research and only 6% of people even knew what travel hacking was. So 
what's really striking about that, all right, we interviewed some people. 92% of the people we interviewed said they wanted to travel more, okay? They, they wanted to travel more. 46% said money was the thing wow. holding them back. So people want to travel more. They would travel more if they had the money. But right over here is this really amazing um, hack that people don't know about. Like, So only 6% of people knew that this even existed. So if, if we can tell people how to do this, then all those people who are dying to travel but feel like they need to have a pocket full of money, they're, we're finally going to be able to help them live their dream without like stressing their bank account. So yeah, that's, that's like, that's the goal. I mean, the real goal, we'll go ahead. So, so, okay. So, and, and yeah, this is your website, VKHQ. It'll be in the show notes. So let's, let's make this like a VKHQ Mm -hmm. advertisement, essentially. Let's, this is, let's do some one-on-one counseling, Mm -hmm. right? With some VKHQ counseling. So, all right. So I'm a guy, right. And let's say I have a good credit score, you know, 775, right? I'm like, man, doggone it. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. freaking stressed. I need to get out of this house. <laughs> so so let, let's go step mm-hmm. by step, right? I want to take a trip to Seattle, okay? I don't, I, maybe I can't afford okay. all of it. Maybe I got a little bit of cash, but not all of it. So step one, right, is got my credit scores right, 775. Step two is mm-hmm. I need to sign up for a credit card. How the hell do I know which one? Oh, there you go. That's the probably one of the toughest decisions and why people get stuck is because they're they're not there's so many credit cards in America. This is kind of unique to America too. Like I've talked to people in other countries and they're like, credit card rewards, you know, what is that? In America, we have like one of the best credit card like uh enticement systems in the world. So uh, but there's also a lot of credit cards to choose from. So in order to pick the right car, you need to pick not just the right car, but the right car for you. So then what you would do is you'd look at your situation and I, you'd ask yourself a few questions. So one question is, am I going to be traveling with someone? Like, do you have a significant other? Do you have a best friend that you love to travel with? No, so that's my no, question. solo dolo. Just me. Yep. Solo dolo. Okay. So then you don't, there's, you won't need something called the Southwest Companion Pass. That like the Companion Pass, just for those listening who did answer yes, like yeah, I got my my significant other. I want to travel with them. The Southwest Companion Pass is like the most ridiculous deal in all of travel. Um, it is uh, the ability to take your partner, whoever that whoever you choose, you could choose anybody. Every time you fly, they fly for free for oh, up shit. to two years. Not just one time, not just two times, not just three times. Every single time you fly over that period that you have the pass, which can be up to two years, they it's like a buy one, get one free ticket. Um, so me and my significant other, Allison, she uh, flies for free whenever. Oh, well, I don't have the pass right now because of COVID. But like when I, when I did have the pass, uh, which I'm about to get it again next year because we're going to start doing a little bit more traveling. Yeah, I buy a ticket. She would just come. All I have to do is check a box and say I'm bringing my companion. Boom, she gets a ticket. I pay the taxes, which is like five sixty, five dollars and sixty cents each way. So we're talking eleven dollars and twenty cents for her ticket. So no matter where I fly, if it's on Southwest, I could go from LA to New York. She's paying eleven dollars, or I'm paying like so. What eleven dollars and twenty cents? The pass is it like something you go on Southwest site and like you sign up for? Is it like a credit card? Is it like a what? Oh, good question. It's a it's part of their loyalty program. So it's a way to reward the people who fly on them a lot, except that. So how do you normally how do most people get the pass who don't know about travel hacking? You need to fly like 100 uh, one way flights on Southwest in a year 
so you're like that's a lot of flights I did. even as a flight former flight and i'm like yeah 100 not happening unless you work in a job that flies you every week twice yeah every week so or you need to earn 125,000 southwest points so most people are like cool i earn points when i fly i earn points when i spend money 125,000 a year though let's say you earn let's say you earn 4 points per dollar that you spend at Southwest. Okay, we're going to do some quick math to figure out how is much that, you would need to spend at Southwest is Airlines. It like, um, you get like X points per dollar, kind of like credit card uh, rewards? Okay. Yeah. When you, so you, mm-hmm, so you, like, like you sign up for like a Southwest mm-hmm. um, account or something like that, and you keep flying Southwest, yeah. and then every dollar you spend towards the flight, you get X amount of points back. Cool. Yes, that is the hard way to do it. And you, you, you know, you what's it called? Their loyalty program. So, you know, you sign up for their rapid rewards loyalty program. Every time you fly, you put in your rapid rewards number. It links to your account. You get your points. There's another way to do it because obviously I'm not going to tell anybody to spend $31,000 on Southwest flights to get this pass. That's not a good deal. Uh, I wouldn't be telling you about it if that's what you had to do. There's another way to get points. It is to have a credit card. And every time you spend money on this credit card, depending on what you spend it on, you'll get points for that. Okay, so you're you're like, okay, so maybe I'm still spending about $30,000, but instead of doing it at Southwest, I'm just doing it with, you know, at the grocery store, at the car repair shop, blah, blah, blah. Still not a good deal. Okay, I'm going to make it even better for you. Um, When you sign up for Southwest, for the credit card, they give you a sign-up bonus. Remember we talked about those sign-up bonuses earlier? These sign-up bonuses are... Right now, depending on which card you get, somewhere between 50,000 and 80,000 points. Okay. So you sign up for one card, you get 50,000 points. Great. But you need 125. So you're still 75,000 points short. Jeez. Did I get that right? Yeah. Uh, 75,000 short. You got 50,000. You need 75,000 more. Cool. So you just spend an additional, what, 15, 20, $30,000. You get just, no, it's better than that. Oh, you shit. just get two credit cards. Remember I said, you get there anywhere between fifty and eighty thousand, so you get a fifty thousand point credit card. Sign up for that. Three months later, you get the eighty thousand point credit card, or whatever you can do it in whatever you want, whatever order you want. Now you got fifty thousand points plus eighty thousand points gives you a hundred and thirty thousand points. Gives you the Southwest Companion Pass. Oh man, you just did okay. that. So, so you've yeah. talked me into That's it. I'm bringing my wife now, okay? Because <laughs> if she listens, if she listens to this podcast, she's okay. gonna be pissed. Um, so all right, so now we are not <laughs> flying solo. We're bringing a wife. We just credit card hacked our way to essentially a half off flight. Okay, so yeah, buy one, get one, buy free. one get one free. We're going to Seattle. So half mm-hmm. the so just right there, half of the um the flight is is free, right? So so okay, so what Gone, what's, what's right? next? But I'm gonna get you all the way there. I'm gonna get you all, all right. the way there for free. Okay, because check this out: fifty thousand points. Plus 80,000 points. You have 130,000 points. Now, what you might be thinking, what most people are thinking is, yeah, I had 130,000 points, but I just turned in 125,000 to get the Southwest Companion Pass. So now I have 5,000 points. Well, still a good deal. you know. Nope, that's not how it works. As soon as you hit 125,000 points, they just send you the Companion Pass. Like it's just a, it's a way of saying thank you for earning these points. So now you have a Companion Pass, which gives you buy one, get one free, and you have 130,000 Southwest points. How much do you think it fly, It would cost to fly? I mean, it, it varies. But I just, I'll just tell you. Generally speaking, you're going to spend in the neighborhood of maybe thirty thousand points, up to like for maximum like forty thousand points round trip to go somewhere. 
Um, so usually I get trips for like 25,000 because, you know, I'll go at different times of the day, whatever I got to do. So let's say this trip to Seattle cost you $25,000 just for some easy math. You have 130,000 points. So you take 25,000 of those points, you get your free ticket, and then your significant other gets their free ticket. Okay. Y'all just flew to Seattle and back for free. You still have 105,000 points left. This is why I haven't paid for a flight. In like Hold on, we five need to years. stop. Hold so, on. <laughs> it's, it's, this, it's is this is brilliant. This is brilliant. You want to know something crazy too? In like, uh, in like two weeks, um, I'm actually flying to Colorado, but I already paid for everything. I should have talked to you earlier. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the the keys there is. Yes. What you're saying is that you get the companion pass if you have 125,000 points, but it does not cost 125,000 points. It's just like, hey, we see the we see that you have these points. Here you go. But you still have the points. Here you go. That's fucking crazy. But you still have the points. That's fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah. So that's yeah. a that, <laughs> hey, that, so. that's the best ad you could get for vkhq.com. That's a pretty good ad, man. Because I, that's the first two cars we're gonna tell you again. I know, because I, 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 I need to. I need to do this. Like, I need to. I, I was. I was about to. I was thinking. I need to write this down. But we're recording this, so I need to listen to this again. This is. This is awesome, man. Yeah. Yes. Plus, you got it. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Of that is sure. phenomenal. People need to do. And man, look, traveling is about. In my opinion, traveling is about as good a therapy as you're going to get, dude. It's freaking awesome mm. to get out there and see some different shit. Yes. Yeah. I highly recommend, you know, travel changes you in the best way uh, because it's hard to hate other cultures when you go, when you're standing right there in front of them, you know, and it's hard. It's just, it's so eye opening and it, it, there's a world of possibilities that opens up when you start seeing how people do things all over. I highly recommend that people get out and travel and it's, but it's easier said than done until now. Like, yes, if you wanted to go travel to some faraway part of the world, you could do it if you had the money. Money was a, is a big hindrance for a lot of people. This is a way to do it without, cause I, I don't make a lot of money. I mean, I do, I do okay. I've never made six figures in my whole life though, which is kind of crazy yeah. for someone coming from Stanford. Like people, I know freshmen who get out of Stanford and make, or sorry, I know seniors who graduate from Stanford and make six figures. And I've always followed my heart and my heart doesn't always pay the best, but I'm always, you know, the happiest, um, that I can be. So I know it's not like I have a ton of money, but if you learn the strategies, and, or have someone like help you through it or use a tool like VKHQ, which we're building right now, which is, it's basically going to take me and put it into a, uh, like a, a, a platform so that now you don't have to work directly with me. Um, you just put in some facts and figures about yourself and it recommends the best cards to you, you know? So, and we make it so easy that you don't have to like learn all these crazy strategies. We just tell you, get this card now, three months later, get this card and then get this card so that. All you do is follow the plan. And before you know it, I mean, I have, if you take my points and mix them with Allison's points, because I travel hack for both of us, we have over a million points. Um, So without spending a ton of money, right? So it's doable, but you got to get, keep your credit up. That's major credit. That sounds like the major key to unlock all of these dreams, man. Um, 
really, really crazy. Yeah. And I think it's it's really crazy that it, it sounds like you have this like recurring theme in your life where you just kind of like you just kind of go with the flow. Mm. You don't chase the money. You know, I think you go you go from Stanford to being a flight attendant instead of Stanford to six figures like a lot of people do. Um, you just seem to have like unique approaches to life. Do you have any like core philosophies or like kind of um, mindsets that you use every day or that help you? Absolutely. Because, uh, well, I'll just tell you what they are. First of all, um, mindset of abundance, right? Like I do not believe that all I see in front of me is all there is. So if I look in the bank account and I only see like a thousand dollars, does that mean that's all the money that's available to me? I don't think so. Like money can, I've seen this happen. Like money can fall, not literally out of the sky, but like someone could just decide to cut you a check. I, I knew a guy once, um, he had debt and he, he was like, just one of his buddies had money. His, his buddy like just paid off all his debt. I've actually seen that happen twice. Um, so, you know, when you limit yourself and you limit your beliefs, I just feel like you close yourself off to a lot of possibilities. And when you're not doing the things that you love, there's just a different energy around you. So let me put it this way. When you are someone who's passionate and excited about what you're doing, that is attractive to people. And the reason it is, is because most people aren't doing the things that they want to do. They're afraid. They're afraid of like running out of money. They're afraid of what their parents and friends will say. Um, and so they look at you and go, whoa, you're living the life that you want to live. Um, and it, what the stories that you have, the experiences that you have, like it's more valuable than money to, it's like a better form of currency, social currency is to just like have some interesting stories to tell. You don't have to be the richest guy in the room. You could just be like the most interesting person in the room and do just as well as the rich guy. You know what I mean? So like, um, I just live my life following the things I want to do. I don't, I try not to. I don't do things that would hurt other people. Like if it's between me getting it and you getting it, I'm like, you take it. Cause I don't have to worry. Like I'm going to get what I need. And if I don't get it, I didn't need it. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the things that I don't have. I think I think about the things that I like am trying to pursue and just keep my eyes open and, and look for those things. I'll tell you the most miserable I've ever been was when I did have to like go get a real job and um, just, 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 um, I, here's the life of an entrepreneur. Okay. It's a cycle. The cycle is you go big and you try something and the first few times, I mean, you fail, like it's, everybody's going to fail and you learn a lot from those failures, but it often results in you not having a lot of money at the end of that failure. Right. So part of the cycle is you got to be responsible and occasionally just bite the bullet and go get a job, go get like a real job. You know, that pays pretty well. If you have a significant other in your life, uh, like I do, she was like, listen, you tried this waffle and an ice cream thing for long enough, you know, like it's time to go get a job. And I was like, okay. So I went and got a job. Um, actually that job turned out to be great. That was, a uh, I worked for a tech startup and that was super fun. I worked for uh, particle, which is a IOT tech startup nice. in San Francisco. I did tech sales, never had done tech sales before. You know how I found tech sales? I didn't even know it existed. I was on Reddit. And an ad said, like, do you want to make $70,000, $80,000 a year doing tech sales? I was like, I don't know what tech <laughs> sales is, but I definitely want to make like 80. And so um, I clicked on the ad and it was like a tech sales boot camp. I went for a week they, and then uh, I got a, a recruiter after that. 
because I had a little, you know, I had a little, I could speak yeah. the lingo a little bit from this boot camp. I got a recruiter after that, Betts Recruiting, shout out to Betts Recruiting in San Francisco. They hooked it up. Um, I got a bunch of interviews and got this job and I did that for 18 months. Okay. That tends to be about my limit of being able to work on for, for some for someone else, like full time. 18 months, I left to go start the ice cream shop. Like I finally had it all together. I had saved up some money and I went to go start the ice cream shop. That failed after like, I think I, wow. I had it open for about five months. It was a hit while it was open, but we didn't make enough money. So that failed. And then I had to like figure out what I was going to do next and I had to go get another job. I was, so I started this by saying like the most miserable I had ever been was when I had a real job. So I went into wealth management because this is how like I, I've just always, when you don't have a lot of money and I don't know, this is maybe this is my approach to it. My way of trying to feel in control mm. of the situation is to learn about stuff. So like with money, okay, I don't have a bunch of money in the bank account, but if I learn to be smart with money, I can make it work. Right. Uh, and so I got into personal finance and eventually like realized I could make a living going and helping people with money, like through wealth management. So, but you have to climb the ladder to get there. So I went to work at a wealth management firm, one of the best in the country, really nice people. <laughs> oh my God, was I miserable. Um, it was just a lot of paperwork and I didn't really get to interact with clients a lot. And um, I was literally depressed. Like you can ask Allison. Hey, can I just I say real quick that, that, that this, that these, all day long. This, Go this, for it. In my opinion, gives you lots of credibility. Uh, a lot of people you hear say stuff like, hey, bro, mm. go chase your dreams, bro. Hey, just do what you love. And people hear that mm. and they're like, bro, I got so many bills. If I miss work tomorrow, I can't uh, pay my lights. Like, and it's just like, screw, like, this is yeah. like nonsense. Like, this guy got lucky. He made some money and now he's telling everybody to chase his dreams. Fuck off. But I think it gives you right. lots of credibility yeah. to say, hey, man, listen, I'm chasing my dreams, but every once in a while, I got to go get a job. It's part of the cycle. And when you do that, it's actually great for you as an entrepreneur because what happens? You get exposure to lots of different ideas and people. And uh, so it's a blessing in disguise, but don't do it. Don't get sucked in. Don't like it's very easy to get caught up in the creature comforts of making like real money. And then uh, next thing you know, you've expanded your lifestyle to, to meet your new paycheck and you can't leave because your rent yeah. is now $4,000 a month. Um, your new car payment is, a, you, you know, you don't want to get your car repossessed. So my secret the whole time was keeping my expenses crazy low. Like I, that's why I lived in my car. I think we mentioned this earlier. Like I lived in my car three on three separate occasions. It's not because I like had to, it's just because I didn't want to have to like go get a job that I didn't love just so I could afford to live in some fancy place. I was comfortable in my car. Nice. It was a Honda Element. I still have it. Nice. It's from a 2004 Honda Element in my garage right now. Um, yeah. And so uh, I did what I had to do. It's not, I had, that was my privilege. Like some people have families, they can't do that. If you have to look at your situation and decide what you can do, but I guarantee you, you can do something. And be creative. You're going to have to figure out a solution. But if you're an entrepreneur, that's what you do. You figure out solutions. You, we're good at this. So for me, it looked like living in my car sometimes. It looked like living in an office uh, space sometimes, which is a great, one, one of the greatest hacks I ever pulled was um, I rented an office space in Concord, California, and it was an 880 square foot office. So um, normally, oh, 880 square foot office, and I paid $880 a month. So for that to, 
makes sense. You have to look at like what an 880 square foot yeah. apartment would have cost. So I paid 880. It easily would have cost like three to four times that to pay, to have a space that big. So this office had three different offices in a like a walk-in area. It was all enclosed. It was all mine. And I had a bathroom, no shower. So I had a gym membership, go to the gym and shower. Um, but my rent was super low and I found someone crazy enough to move in there with me. So I had a roommate in the office. Um, and so my rent was actually like 400, 450, like $500 a month. Um, so I did that because at the time, like I was working at, uh, like a yogurt shop because I wanted to learn how the process of like running a toppings bar worked. And I worked at pizza shops and it just, I just did whatever I wanted to do to help me learn and whatever business idea I was working on, I'd go work in a place that did that thing so I could learn more about it and take the knowledge away and apply it to my own thing. But minimum wage, you know, I couldn't live in a fancy place. So I did what I had to do. Um, but yeah, anyway, okay. I'll let you keep going. Yeah. yeah so more to that. So I think, yeah, that that's the, that's the key is like, Hey, you know, you, you could take these shots, but every once in a while you, you may, you may have to get a, you know, a real job. And it sounds like the key for you was just, hey, whenever you have these jobs, keep your expenses low um, and, you know, save up for that that freedom over yeah. security type of approach. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because um, that is one of my that's something that drives me. Everybody's different. So I just happen to value freedom more than security. I love being, I'm so curious about everything. I want to go like check it out and explore it. And I have ideas all the time and I love creating. Like I don't build things with my hands. I build like things through ideas and then I bring a team of people together to help me physically like, you know, build whatever the idea is. And that's my, that's my joy. Uh, And like I said, everybody's different. Some people just want to go to work at a Google. And once they get that job, they're just, oh, I made it. I'm very happy. I can do this forever. Um, but some of us are wired a little bit differently and we got to don't ignore that. It's very easy to, again, living in America, society will make you think that if you're not bringing in six figures and you're a certain age and you haven't done this and you don't own a house, you failed. Um, but uh, what is that? It's like a supposedly an Einstein quote. It says, like, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, then That's a good the fish quote. Like, will feel stupid, you know, terrible, terribly present. Yeah. But if you put a fish in water, like a fish is going to be great. So um, a lot of us are entrepreneurs are like fish out of water, you know, and we're looking at us and we're like, why don't we fit? Why, why can't we just be normal? But that's not why we're here. Some of us are put here to go and create things that are going to push humanity forward to solve problems. Um, the problem we're solving at VKHQ, by the way, is I'm tr- my, as a financial, you know, uh, personal finance, like lover, uh, and I, I'm always trying to help people with personal finance. Our our mission is really to help people improve their credit scores, but we need to give them an incentive to do that. So the incentive is like, if you get a good credit score, now you can unlock all this free travel. But I've actually won just by having people boost their credit score because in America, you know, your credit score really matters a lot. So if you're not, if you're an entrepreneur and you've got a mission. And it doesn't fit with what the world is like pre-designed for you. I, I want you to like listen to that because if you don't do what you feel like you're supposed to be doing, the world is missing out. Like, I don't think it's an accident that you have these ideas in your head and that you saw this thing at this time and it inspired this. Like, pay attention to that stuff and ta- be 
a little bit crazy. Take a little bit of what people call call risk. To me, the risk is being 80 years old and looking back at my life and having a bunch of regrets. Like, what if? What if I had tried this? What could have happened? Who could I have helped? What could have been? Instead, I just like took the easy route and got a comfortable job. And, you know, that's that was that. That to me is risky. It's not risky to put to put a bunch of money on business credit cards, for example, because that's how I fund the business now. Like VKHQ is completely funded. Thank you, Chase. Thank you, like US Bank and all like completely funded by business credit. But I'm not spending that money on like me going out to fancy dinners or suits and cars. And I'm pu- I'm putting that to work by hiring the best people I could find. I love my the team that I work with. They're just brilliant. And that I believe is a it's gonna pay off. I believe it's an investment in yourself. So don't be afraid to invest in yourself, believe in yourself, try, you're gonna fail, and that's okay. But eventually, if you keep trying, that's the only thing that separates like people who succeed from people who just fail and give up. It's like, if you're crazy enough to keep taking yeah, shots, I think, eventually. I think you're a great example because, I mean, you're the uh, the Stanford grad guy who went go be a flight attendant, you know, very unconventional path um, that I, I really appreciate. I think you said something earlier where like it, it's risky that people kind of like don't follow their passion or their purpose. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people, I think more than we think, actually have this longing, this, hey, I just clocked out of my job, but what I really like to do is X. Or maybe they are like, yeah, I'm, I'm working at this job, but man, it's sucking out my soul. I know it. And I've changed as a person because of it. Like what, how does a person like find that path from having their soul sucked at some terrible corporate job to, man, mm. I'm just, I'm going for it. How do I get to there? Faith is probably the best. So when I left my job in wealth management, again, I, I was, I thought that was going to be like my forever career, man. And I was like making good money again, working for one of the best firms in the country. I was like, I did it. I'm in, I could just work my way up and and it's going to work out. I was so lost when it didn't. And I, I didn't love it. Um, but I knew I couldn't stay. I knew it was killing me. So what did I do? I put in my two weeks and I just, I had no idea what I was going to do next. I had some money saved up. My expenses were low. I, but I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I cannot stay here because it's, it's too much that night that I mean, I can't see, this is why I'm telling you, like, I don't know. I believe like things just kind of work out in a crazy way. Sometimes that night I got a call from my friend, uh, same dude I used to run with in college a lot. Uh, we were in the recording studio. Oh, you left your job, like just kind of out of faith, like, Oh boy, I can't do this two week notice. See ya. And you said you got a call that evening. And, and what was the call about? It was from your buddy. It was from my buddy, Frederick. And he said, hey, I've, uh, you know, I've been at a, uh, a nonprofit that I co-founded for like the last few years. And uh, I was just calling to see if you had ever thought about maybe coming to help us out because we could use some help right now. And I was like, your timing, I mean, I, it's perfect, impeccable. I said, yes, absolutely. I just put in my two weeks today. So I went you know, I went back to work for the next two weeks at the wealth management firm. Um, and then I think I had a, maybe a week off, maybe. And then I started my, my new job at street code where I've been for the last two years. So pretty incredible. 
That's and awesome, what, man. Yes. Yeah, so I, so I, I think the thing that, that separates you is, bro, you got the faith. A lot of people yeah. just, hey, you know, this job's sucking out my soul. Now, listen, the, the people with kids, you know, you, you got to provide for your kids, bro. But yes, the people like you, you just you just seem to have this thing where it's just like it just doesn't feel right. And it's almost like you have a self-respect or like a self-worth or something where it's like, I have to do right by my soul. And yes. I don't think a lot of people have that now. Yeah. It get, I think it gets kind of like beaten out of you, you know, um, grade school through college is just about, here's the predefined path. Follow this. All your dreams will come true. And that's not true at all. As someone who graduated from one of the best schools in the country, I could tell you, I thought everything was going to be handed to me when I got out. And it was not the case. And I was like, kind of like, oh, I guess what? I, I remember sophomore year planning out where I was going to live when I graduated. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll probably get out and make about 60K. And so I, I think I'm going to live in like Redondo Beach and I'm going to have like a condo and it'll be, you know, that, that'll be like 3000 a month and that'll be fine. I didn't make 60K until I was in my 30s. Like I was, I mean, wow, man. I didn't make 60K until I was in my 30s. Yeah, I remember when the first time I made 60K, I was like, oh my God, it finally happened. Um, but what I got in exchange for that were a lifetime's worth of stories, a lifetime's worth of experiences that you can't, I couldn't do that same thing at 50. So I needed to get it done earlier. And I did. And that helped me figure out what I love, you know? And so, yes, like I was saying, run those experiments early while you can. Because that's the way you figure out what you're good at, figure out what you love. It's 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 very rare that someone is like from the you know the age of birth they know what they're gonna do. I'm gonna be a fireman, and then they stick with it and they become a fireman. Usually yeah. that only happens if someone around you is like really influential and they have that job. Like like my dad is this. I'm gonna go into what my dad is doing. But a lot of us we just have to kind of figure it out. Um, but if you don't have the the faith to to bet on yourself, it's really hard to to take those chances that eventually get you to the place where you know who you are and what you love and what you're good at. Um, so yes, absolutely have the faith. And I, Oh, one other thing, cause someone might be listening and they might go, well, I, I mean, I don't really have that level of faith that you have EJ. And I will tell you, it's a muscle. You basically just have to fail a bunch and then realize that you're going to survive. Once you have that belief in yourself, like I'll be okay. That is one of the most powerful like beliefs you can have. There's really nothing that can worry you, not financially anyway. You know, if you just know that like you're going to be able to make it work no matter what, then why wouldn't you go try this crazy thing? You know, why wouldn't you go take off and go do some traveling with the band? Uh, like it'll be fine. It'll work out. So yeah, build that muscle. Yeah, I think I think Tim Ferriss has a thing where he's like uh I think something like make a failure list. It's like, Hey, if you do this thing and it completely falls through, like literally write down exactly what's going to happen. And I think the whole point is kind of like to realize what you're saying, like, bro, the worst case scenario ain't that bad at all. Um, uh, it's, it's not that bad. Um, and as far as finding your passion, a lot of people struggle with this. Um, a lot of people are lazy. A lot of people are scared to step outside their box. I think one of the best pieces of advice I got on like, what is my like passion, right? Because listen, your passion can be like making beaded necklaces, but you'll, you probably won't earn a living. It's um, a, a guy, Naval, um, on, on, on Twitter. 
what do you do that feels like play to you, but is work to other mm-hmm. people? Um, so like, like an example, yes. uh, maybe you, maybe you like to play the piano and like, um, and this is something you could do for hours. It's like, you don't have to be told, you don't have to discipline yourself. Um, and Hey, by the way, you can make money playing the piano. You can make money, uh, doing a podcast, running a website, talking about credit cards. If this feels like play to you, yep. but other people, it feels like work, then you found it. Keep going. Um, I think one yep. thing, what, what are like maybe a couple pieces of advice that you'd give to somebody in their forties, working maybe a dead end office job, feeling the soul sucked out. What are like maybe two pieces of of practical advice you can give to them to kind of feel alive again? To feel alive, help others. Everybody has a gift. Go use your gift on the weekends in your spare time. I don't care. You have time. Every, all of us have time. Go take your gift and use it to go help somebody. Um, so if there's some, if you like making puzzles like you know putting together puzzles i don't know like invite some people to put together some puzzles you know at the coffee shop whatever it is you already know and you're just you might be saying to yourself i can't make the time you don't make those excuses anymore and the other thing that happens is people go i don't understand how this is ever going to lead to money so why even start down this path because i don't know how helping people do this or do that is going to like somehow free me from my job i want you to forget all of that. Just help. Just go be a blessing to other people. You, as you're going through in life and you're doing these things and you're being helpful, the ideas will come. And you'll be like, oh, so this is a big problem that people have. It seems like a lot of people need help with this. So maybe if I did this and like had this tool that did that, oh, maybe that could, oh, okay. So then boom, before you know it, you've got a business idea. Um, or before you know it, someone's offered you an amazing opportunity because you know you didn't know that they were cousins with so-and-so and now you're like flying on a private jet you just just life could go either way no matter what you do you could think you're going to go work at google and everything's going to be perfect and everything could be terrible or you could think you're going to go live in your car and everything's going to be terrible and everything could be perfect um so if life could go either way no matter which path you choose why not choose the path that brings you the most joy you know that's my that's the way i look at it yeah, man. Hey, both paths have pain. Both paths have joy. I think that that's great advice. Um, DJ, we've been at it for almost two hours. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. I genuinely think you are um, an incredible person. You seem to be a glass half full guy to the absolute end. And I think people like you are a dying breed. I, my only ask to you would just be to never stop smiling because it's infectious. Your personality is infectious. And the more people you talk to, I think the better the world's going to be. So thank you so much for your time. So much. Genuinely. Is there anything you want to let people know? Any plugs? Any, where can people find you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. You might think the most important plug that I want to plug right now is the startup that I'm working on, which is vacahq.com. You know, that's where we help you boost your credit and your travel rewards. So we're going to turn everybody into travel hackers. That's the goal. It's not built yet. We're actually fundraising right now. So if there's any investors listening that would love to have a conversation, I'd love to talk with you. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we are, we have a great team. 
We're going to just keep working. Thank God for these business credit cards. Um, as long as I can keep the business funded until we get investments, I will keep doing that because I'm having a blast. So, But that's not the most important plug I wanted to make. Uh, the most important plug is, is definitely the AFE Society. So I have a nonprofit um, where I help people with financial coaching and travel hacking is now part of that. So if you want to get more tips, you know, uh, specific to your situation, whether it be on finances or how to go to the place, the place you want to go and how to improve your credit score, uh, please visit the AFE society.org. And that, that stands for advancement for financial empowerment, advancement for financial empowerment, um, the AFE society.org. What it's going to take you to is directly to my Calendly. So it's not just like, Oh, here's some information. It, there's not much information there. There, there is literally just my Calendly, which is like book a time with me. So I'm make, I'm not just talking about it. Like saying, I want to help people. I'm making my schedule available. You can put time in my calendar and, uh, yeah. So take advantage. So that's my biggest plug. Awesome. And, and I'll put both of those in show notes and anything else you think would be inform, uh, uh, helpful to people. Um, but yeah, thank you for your time and we should talk again soon. I would love to.